the show's built around things called uh, season finales, season opening premieres, and sweep week, sweep, uh, sweeps, sweep weeks is what they were called, I think, is what it was. And this was at the moments where the audience attendance would be higher than usual. So they had these high points. So how do you make these points high points? Well, the only way to do that is to build momentum. How do you build momentum? Well, you have to have things in previous episodes that you can pay off. That's how you build the momentum. You can't just go, this week, sweep weeks, or this week, season finale, the crew of such and such encounter an anomaly. How's that different from every other week? Um, uh, hype. Uh, one of them might die. <laughs> Cisco's oldest rival. It's been a long time. Challenges him to one final showdown. We will destroy them. The name of the game is baseball. Tree. But for Cisco, tree. this is no time to play. This game is supposed to be fun, not a life and death struggle. Tree. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Lionel, writer and part of the McKee Storylog team. So today we're going to talk about Deep Space Nine and television writing of the olden times. <laughs> Old-timey writing. Oh, I rem- I've gone Bane. You were, I meant yeah, to go uh, Old Man. I went Bane. As always, if you want to get in touch, uh, we're on Twitter at The Story Toolkit and our website, uh, thestorytoolkit.wordpress.com um, has a little email box thingy which you can fill out and we'd love to hear from you if you um, have any ideas for uh, shows to talk about, movies to talk about, gripes you have, questions you have. Mm-hmm. Just say hi in general, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Let's get into it. We have so much dignity <laughs> that dignity. we can afford to just lose it like that. Always dignity. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's go. So, uh, Luke didn't know this, but uh, for those of you who are cool like me, you'll know that all the Star Treks are on Netflix. All the Star Trek shows. Um, the Star Trek, the Star Trek 2, Generation Next. Star Trek 3, Deep Space Nine. Revenge of the Star Trek. Star Trek 4, Voyager. Star Trek 5, Enterprise 5s. That's not... That didn't work. Yeah, last it was... Enterprise. Oh, okay. Enterprise. Uh, anyway. Um, they're all on there. Um, and uh, three of them are worth watching. I'll let you guess which three. There was an implication. It's not Voyager or Enterprise. <laughs> there was an implication of what you said. But I'm too cool to know that... Uh, that all the Star Treks are available. That was not my intended. No, I realised that. I just wanted to clarify for no. for the record. Oh, I, I don't now think I... anyone had any thoughts of that. That's what I was <laughs> suggesting. Um, no, but they're all on Netflix, and so I watch DS Nine. I've been watching DS Nine from the start when I've been cooking and stuff, and I just want the sounds of life. Uh, so <laughs> I put DS Nine. I put DS Nine on. Um, and um, so one of the things that I was thinking about uh, with DS9 is just how archaic that form of writing for television is. 
and how you know, I know I, I grew up with it, and how there's it's just it's so out of date the way that they're writing. And one of the things that I've been doing as I've been watching DS9 is constantly reimagining the show if it were written today and what you would do with it today and the kind of things that you would do. Um, and it, it kind of, it's kind of interesting um, because I also, as a result, started reworking Voyager <laughs> uh, just by extension. Uh, and then you realise, like, DS9, there's something very interesting that can be done if you sort of cannibalise Voyager at the same time. It's very interesting. Yeah. But I think we can get to that's that not a th- That's not, not really interesting right now. Um, it's no. interesting for me. So... <laughs> But the point is, like, what's 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 so old timey, as it were? What's so obsolete in a way, and um, and what's changed? So, DS Nine. If you if you buy a book on how to write for television, pretty much this is what they will teach you. Okay, because American television is the sort of prime television form, and this is how everyone has always understood it. Which is, you kind of write like this. You've got a tag. No. Teaser, beg your pardon. You've got a teaser, then the credits. Then you've got Act 1, which lasts about eight minutes. Ad break, Act 2, last few, you know, same time, Act 3, Act 4, and then a tag at the end. And then, so there's a break at every one of these points. All right, in America, that's how it was. Over here in England, uh, or on VHS, you know, if you watch it and it fades to black with dramatic music, that was the act break for the adverts. And in America, the adverts are every eight minutes, whereas in England, it's every like 15, 20 minutes. At least it was when I was watching things on television. And so it was always different, right? Yeah. And the ad breaks are different lengths. And the more time people would sell um, to advertisers on their network, the more the TV episodes had to change the amount of time each act lasted. And by, by the way, when we say act one, act two, that was just the term. It's They weren't actually acts. Generally, these stories only had two major reversals in them. So really, there are only two act stories. But, you know, the phraseology was act one, act two, act three, etc. Yeah. When in fact, it's more like chapter one, chapter two, Yeah, I guess. Is that kind of... I, I, maybe missing the mark here slightly but in the same way that say Romeo and Juliet is split into five acts or the Shakespeare plays they're not necessarily the major reverse. I think with Shakespeare they are are they? yeah I think okay. so um, I think that terminology actually meant something back then I can't, I can't okay. tell you but at least in TV form it, yeah in it TV didn't. form it was just a, it's just a way of talking uh, but it's not the same thing so it just meant here's an ad break get them back after the break yeah and they always had to end with false jeopardy and cliffhangers yeah. and, so and a lot of the time shows like Firefly and um, Buffy and Angel the Joss Whedon shows would have a lot of fun with that yeah uh, and even The Simpsons I remember you pointing out the Angel uh, it was when I was watching Angel because I didn't watch a lot of Buffy mm. you pointed the trick out to me which was that some like he, Angel would, uh, and his buddies would be walking through the sewer, and then mm. a big monster would turn up. It would yeah. cut to ad ad break, and then when they came back, the monster would be defeated, and they'd carry on. Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, there's, uh, uh, I remember uh, when I rewatched The Simpsons. Now I'm like, oh, that's a joke that only makes sense if they just cut for an ad break. Right. They actually have jokes about that that don't make sense when I would watch them on VHS or DVD. Uh, okay. So there's one episode where um, uh, Homer's telling a story. It's one of the flashback episodes, and it cuts back to the present day. And Homer's like, why aren't you paying attention? He's like, Dad, you can't expect to sit 
uninterrupted for 20 minutes. I'm going to go out and get a drink or whatever. And then Marge goes, I'm going to sit here and think of products I'd like to buy. <laughs> and the idea is it would cut to an ad break, but I never saw it with the ad breaks at that moment. So that joke never made sense. And they would cut straight back to them talking again. I'm like, I don't get what? Why does that happen? It's like, oh, it's a joke about the form of television. So this was a very standard form of TV writing. Sitcoms, I think it was, what, you had the you had two acts, or maybe, I can't remember what yeah. the exact number was. Yeah, two acts, because the hour-long drama had four, right? So you had, your ta- you had your teaser and your tag, and then the number of acts in between. That was the form, okay? And so they needed a story every week, and that an episode, a series would have something close to 20... Two twenty-four episodes, almost two dozen episodes. Yeah. So it would last for that many weeks, which would be about what six months? It's six months. Yeah. Yeah. So half the year. Okay. Um. And so um, that was the season, and so you had to have enough stories to last that long, and so how did it work? Well, what they would often do is they'd have what you would call the A story, which was the central story of this of the episode. And then sometimes you'd have a B story and sometimes even a C story, that's what they would call them, which were subplots that often didn't have anything to do with the main storyline, but were there to help fill out time. So often what would happen in writing rooms is they would make a series of B stories and C stories and a series of A stories. And often if an A story wasn't was coming in under time, they'd find a B story that they could write to fill in the time. Uh, and that's how A and B stories worked. Sometimes some shows uh, always wanted an A story and a B story because they had like an ensemble cast. And so they had to make sure everyone is doing something, which is often what you see in sitcoms. Um, yeah. You know, typically you'd have an A story like in Friends between, say, Rachel and, and, and Monica. But then they'd have to go, OK, well, what are the other characters up to? And so the, all the guys might have their own story. So Ross, Chandra and Joey might be having a little story. And then Phoebe might have her own story. And so they had an A story, a B story and a C story. Uh, if you want to see excellent use of those three and the kind of intertwining of them um, yeah. ensemble cast, Modern Family. Yeah, Mon Family does it. Is incredible because they've got such a huge cast to service. Yeah. Um, kind of, they've got or, nine characters. In three, <coughs> three families and nine characters. Three right? families, nine characters. Is it ten now that Lily's grown up? Oh, I guess so. So ten. Yeah. And uh, they are con- they, they they are constantly having to make sure that everyone is doing something. Yeah. So uh, sometimes they break it down by the houses. Yeah. So it's like, okay, the Dumfies are all doing one thing. Cam and Mitch and Lily are doing one thing. And then Gloria, Jay and um, Manny are doing their thing. Yeah. Sometimes, okay, the kids are all doing one thing. The parents are doing one thing. It's the husbands, the wives. So they'll break up yeah. and have a nice dynamic every time. But generally, yeah, there's an A, B and C story going on. Yeah. And in fact, and sometimes in those shows, there is calling it A, B, C doesn't really mean much because they're given equal weight. Yeah. Um, so anyway, you had that was the basic structure, right? Then what happened was you started getting um, soap opera elements where you'd have personal conflict with these characters. They'd fall in love or get, you know, they get married or they have kids or whatever that would persist between each episode. So you had an A story, a B story, a C story that would be resolved at the end of every episode fully resolved and so the next episode you'd watch that and it's as if the previous episode nothing really happened but then you would have these soap opera elements that would persist so if two characters got married okay they're married from then on every now and again certain things would change and stay that way for the rest of the show you know these soap opera elements 
and that gave it a sort of continuity for things because uh, trying to come up every week uh, with a different A story, a different B story, C story, eventually you get to a point where characters would have something happen to them that they couldn't just ignore. Um, plus, if they're doing things like, you know, will they, won't they type storylines, at some point they have to pay that off because audiences want to know what, you know, they want to see something get resolved. And so, yeah, these soap opera elements um, just to kind of uh, keep the relationship between the ca- the cast somewhat interesting or, you know, just to keep it going, basically. So you didn't have to keep constantly coming up with external situations for them. They could come up with stuff that was inside the cast dynamics. Come with sure. So soap opera started being a thing. Okay. Before it was literally just like these two characters have chemistry and that's it. Uh, but then it became things like they're getting married and okay. Then you started getting uh, in the nineties season long storylines where you would have a storyline for that would last the entire season. So they'd have their A stories, they'd have their B stories, then C stories, they'd have their soap opera elements, but there is one overarching storyline for the season, and then the next season would have something else. And this this was an answer to Babylon 5, wasn't it? This was something Babylon 5 actually kind of didn't do, but other people kind of copied because um, people couldn't plan further out than one season. This one, I mean, it was it was an answer to... Babylon yeah, Babylon 5. 5, you know, he had all five seasons uh, planned out, but other people wouldn't plan out all the seasons, so they just planned one season, and then they'd try and tie things up. And it, it was a natural extension from people enjoying the soap opera elements and, again, wanting to do things. And also, especially with action shows, uh, to come up with villains that didn't feel like just monsters of the week or enemies of the week, crises of the week to have something more dangerous show up because if every week they solve the crisis you need something more than that, right? Prosthetic of the week. Yeah, you need something more to kind of hold things together to really build because the idea was, you see, the shows built around things called uh, season finales, season opening premieres and sweep sweep weeks is what they were called I think is what it was and this was at the moments where the audience attendance would be higher than usual so they had these high points so how do you make these points high points? Well, the only way to do that is to build momentum. How do you build momentum? Well, you have to have things in previous episodes that you can pay off. That's how you build the momentum. You can't just go, this week, sweep weeks, or this week, season finale, the crew of such and such encounter an anomaly. How is that different from every other week? Um, uh, hype. Uh, one of them <laughs> might die. Will they really? Maybe? No, right? And so um, they had to kind of work out how to do that. And so season story let you build your season. You had a strong opening. You build it up. Uh, Sweet Weeks has a major turn in it. And then the season finale can pay off all the season. And so you had just a natural way to get the audience interested at the high points. So people could tune out in between <laughs> but at least in those points they 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 back in there and ooh, it's the big thing oh they're up against as you know buffy would call it the big bad or whatever yeah, yeah um and i think the first show that really kind of at least the first show i remember that really got this going was uh star trek next generation uh with the best of both worlds because the season yeah. three finale with the borg uh there was a real thing of like you know is is patrick stewart in season four uh, is that actually something that's going to happen? How much of a big change was that? I didn't, I, because I didn't, I, I, I don't think I watched Next Gen 
top to bottom as it were yeah front to back um so i didn't know when that was placed in the season that was the that was at the end that was season it's the last episode of season three wow and um i didn't see that uh when it was on the air because i watched all of the next generation between star trek generations and star trek first contact but I so devoured everything about it. I read up about how people were talking about it at the time and stuff. And the big important point to, to realise about that is the Borg were not new villains for that that week. They'd already existed beforehand yeah. in another episode and they were terrifying. And they'd been mentioned twice before. So they were mentioned in the neutral zone offhandedly. You saw them in an episode called Q Who, and then they finally show up in the best of both worlds. And yeah. so there was a big thing of, oh, the Borg are finally in the show. And then season four opened with the res- resolution of that. And for the first time ever in a Star Trek show, the episode after the conclusion was them just dealing with the aftermath of it. Because yeah. they'd never done that before. And it was just an episode where Picard is like, yeah, I've had a really tough time. <laughs> and... Um, and of course, Star Trek First Contact was all about the Borg coming back, and so the Borg would come back. So they had a sort of momentum to them because they were recurring villains that were quite scary. Yeah. Uh, so that's anyway. So the the so you had these sort of um, as I say, you had these high points in a season that people needed to meet. So you had an A story, you had your B story to generate enough material for the episode. Then what happened is soap opera elements started coming in to give more continuity and persistence to the cast and then the season arcs showed up that allowed the series to create high points in the story of the show that they could then match to the opening of the season midway through the season and the climax of the season and the only way to do that is to have some sort of momentum so you need something that you can build over time which you couldn't do just by having an A story every week sure a self-contained story so that was the form yeah, pretty much until uh, I guess two thousand. That was the form for like fifty years. That was just the standard television form for a good fifty years. Um, and it's just a little archaic. And so DS Nine, I'm rewatching that, and of course, it's it's noticeable to watch DS Nine, a show that I really like, and see how how bizarre a lot of their choices are in the show because of this form it only makes sense when you go oh, this is how I because I'm watching it and I remember when I was watching it for the first time and I never batted an eyelid yeah. but now I'm watching I'm like geez why would you make that choice and so because back then this is the form you had your yeah. A story you had your soap operas you had your season storyline that's it you didn't have any other options and so that's why you know this character is having the situation happen and then they're resolving it straight away. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when I say it's archaic, I don't mean it's terrible because it's actually, it's nice. A lot of these shows are very well written. Yeah. Um, but um, it's just, it's just weird <laughs> to look at. Um, um, yeah. Let's push on. Let's talk about a couple of examples in DS9 then of um, the, the aspects of the form you talked about. Let's talk about A story first. So, yeah, sometimes um, as episodes, A story is strong enough that it's the only story in the episode. There's no other story in the episode. And DS9 had some really great ones. Um, one of the best ones is uh, called Duet, which was at the, I think, the penultimate episode of season one. 
and duet is a story in which um uh, a, a person uh, has to be beamed onto the station from a transport directly to the infirmary because he's having uh, a, 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 his illness is relapsing and the illness that he has is a very specific illness I'm blanking on the name of the illness um, uh, Cora co- 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 uh, co- syndrome I think it's called Corner syndrome something like that um, I remember where he gets it so the whole point is he has this uh uh, it's this syndrome and it has a it's only one place that you could have got it from and you could only get it from Galatep Galatep was one of the death camps that the Cardassians had on the on Bajor and so Kira who's a Bajoran she was a terrorist and fought against the Cardassians and now they're liberated and the Federation is helping them uh, to join the Federation and get back on their feet um, she rushes to the infirmary because she's convinced that this person is a survivor of Galatep and so, to her mind, that's like meaning a Holocaust survivor, right? Yeah. So it's like she wants to meet essentially a hero, someone who survived Galatep. She goes in there and is astonished to discover that the person who's being treated is not a Bajoran, but a Cardassian. And so, therefore, the only way they got that was that she didn't, she didn't go down and meet a Holocaust survivor. She met someone who worked at Auschwitz. Yeah. And so they put him in the infirmary. They're going to put him on trial. And she wants to know everything about him. And he's like, you're only going to be disappointed. And she's like, no, I'm going to, you know, you're going to get, you know, we're going to tr- string you up for what you did. And he's like, what did I do? It's like, you were there. You're horrible. It's like, I was just a file clerk. That's all I was. I was a file clerk. Um, I didn't do anything special. I wasn't anyone important. Sorry. And so they they dig into the records. They try to find him to corroborate whether or not he is a file clerk or not. And indeed, Eamon Maritza, that's his name, he was a file clerk. They find a picture. They find a photograph of the the people at uh, the Cardassian labor camp. And they look at the person who's labeled Eamon Maritza. It's not the guy in the infirmary. They keep looking in the picture for the guy in the infirmary and they find him. And he's not the file clerk. He is the leader of the camp, the infamous Goldar Heel. So it's like, you know, it's like they, they, they found the guy who ran Auschwitz. This is who this guy is. So now she knows who he is and she goes to confront him. And he, the actor playing him, I think his name was Jerry Harden, uh, just, I mean, the act, it's just the acting between these two. There's a reason it's called Duet, this episode. It's just the two of them acting yeah. off each other. And he gives the most incredible performance, and he goes, what you call genocide, I call a day's work. Things like that. It's just unbelievable writing. Um, he's horrific now. He's, his monster, his evil is just unleashing all this stuff. And they keep doing... Um, so she's convinced she's got him. She, they've, they're finally going to string up the butcher of Galatep. Big win for the Bajorans. Except there's one little problem, which is the Cardassian government say, Goldahil is dead. He had a big funeral, state funeral, and we know because we were there, so I don't know who you've got, but it's not Goldahil, and you need to give him back to us. And so they do more digging, and they discover Goldahil was not at Galatep when the outbreak occurred that caused people to get Karanara syndrome. He wasn't there. But Maritza was. And it turns out this guy is Maritza, and he's messed, He's had surgery to make himself look like Dahil. And the whole point of this 
is because he wants to get the Cardassians to admit what they did was wrong by having a proper trial for Dahil. That was the whole point. If he gets put on trial as Gul Dahil, it would force the Cardassians to admit to what they did on Bajor, and therefore it can begin a process of healing. But he's been found out, and, and he has this wonderful breakdown as he's pretending to be Dahil, and then the real Maritza just comes out, and he starts you know, just crying endlessly over all the horrible things that he saw happen that he couldn't stop. Like, this guy was a file clerk, and he couldn't stop the mass murder. He couldn't stop the genocide. He couldn't stop the killing. He couldn't stop any of this stuff. And he just breaks down in front of Kira. Kira forgives him. As he's being let out, um, a Bajoran runs up and kills him uh, because he's a Cardassian, and what other reason does he need? And that's that's the episode. That's the only story in the episode. This is brilliant. I've got me some tingles going on right now. Uh, okay. No, I did. <laughs> you said that. Do. You said that so sarcastically. <laughs> um, uh, so that's that's had, just one great A story. There's yeah. no subplot. There's no B story. Every scene is Kira, um, or Kira and Dahil. There's no other scene. It's just basically those those guys. Yeah. Um, and there's other show, episodes that have great A stories. Um, the Magnificent Frengi is one of the funniest episodes uh, that is it really is good. it's hilarious the Ferengi um, Quark's mother gets kidnapped by the Dominion and so Quark decides he wants to prove he's a tough guy so he wants to hire like the toughest Norsicans and all this stuff to free his mother and then he realises actually no Ferengi are just as tough so he gets a gang of Ferengi together to do it and then they're terrible <laughs> absolutely terrible there's no way they do a hollow deck simulation and uh the only ferengi who's actually capable of fighting a guy called lek who's an exterminator uh kills the mother and they well, why did you kill her it's like i saw we weren't gonna rescue her so i put her out of her misery and all that stuff and they're just terrible terrible people they can't do it so quark realizes okay ferengi aren't good at fighting but what we are good at is negotiation so we're gonna just do a negotiation and there's this wonderful bit where they go to another space station a neutral ground place deserted to get the dominion there and the dominion show up with all the jemhadar led by iggy pop of all people right and the mother is there and they seal the jemhadar and they just hide they hide 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 and then it's like what are we gonna do what are we gonna do and then brunt just goes wait a minute everything's going according to plan <laughs> And so the episode is just this hilarious farce of them trying to rescue their mother from the most terrifying, like, enemy in the show. Um, and it's just, that's all the story is. It's just them. Um, there's the Section 31 episodes that are great. Um, and there's other great A-story episodes. But the point is, all these episodes are just one storyline. Uh, and there's enough material in there to uh, to work for the... 45 minutes the show runs yeah. uh, and, and some of them are quite emotional like duet is or the visitor and others are really exciting like the section 31 episodes yeah and they have a great mystery in them like uh, one of my favorites is an episode called whispers which is just this fantastic mystery where it seems like everyone on ds9 apart from o'brien has been uh somehow mind controlled and it's just great mysteries it slowly unfolds and you discover what's been going on 
Um, it's good, it's, or it's a comedy like Magnificent Ferengi is really funny. Or the hot, the baseball episode, yeah. <laughs> right? They're just kind of proof of uh, the um, of what you can achieve with that form, right? Yeah, it's there's nothing wrong with having a story that is fully resolved in one episode. Yeah, uh, because essentially, isn't that what a film is? Right. Right, so what? It's it's not no problem with it. So there's the, a lot of these great A story episodes, but then there's also really bad episodes. Unfortunately, um, do you think the the bad episodes? Do you think they came from the fact you are filling twenty four episodes a season? Yeah, it's it's year? not it's not a particularly good idea for a story, and it doesn't go anywhere. And what's more is, so one of the episodes that was rubbish is called is a season two episode called Blood Oath. And in this episode, what they wanted to do, it seems, is they got the three main Klingon actors from the original series. The guys who played Kang, Koloth, and Kor. They were the three main Klingon villains that appeared in the original series with Kirk. So they hired those actors to play those parts again and give them one last adventure together. And they go to DS9 and they found a villain called the Albino who they have a blood oath against. And one of the people who had a blood oath with these three Klingons is Curzon Dax, which is Judzia's previous host, because she's a trill, and she's kind of like the Doctor. <laughs> Doctor Who, she regenerates, yeah. right? So uh, this, there's a symbiont inside her, and when the host body dies, the symbiont is given to a new person. So Curzon was her sixth or seventh host, and Judzia's the next one. Yeah. And so they come up, and they're like, oh, we want Curzon to come with us, but Curzon's dead. There's Jadzia, you're relieved of the blood oath. And she's like, no, I took the blood oath, I'm going to go do it. And so the four of them raid the albino. And it's this weird action story with three old Klingons who you don't know, um, and Jadzia. And it's just like, this makes no sense. And Jadzia is basically, the character is a Starfleet officer who says, yeah, I'm going to go with a bunch of Klingons to murder somebody. And Cisco's like, if you do this, you know, this is like, it's your badge. And she's like, I have to do it. It's a matter of Klingon duty. And it's like, Trill society is very clear. You're not supposed to um, redo things from your previous lives. You're supposed to have a clean break and start a new life. That's the whole point. So there's like, the Trill society will outcast you. The Federation will arrest you. You can't do this. And she goes, I've got to go do it. She kills a guy. Well, I don't think she kills him. I think one of the Klingons kills him. It doesn't matter. The guy is dead at the end of this. And she comes back and they're like, yeah, whatever. It's just credits. And you're just like, this is terrible. <laughs> this is just so stupid. Because it's a, it's a bad idea. First of all, it's not a very interesting way to bring the three Klingons into the show again. It would have made more sense if they'd waited a couple of seasons and given this to Worf. Yeah. Right? That would have made a lot more sense. Um, but for some reason they gave it to Dax and that just didn't work that character and it just hasn't it doesn't do anything so the duet storyline that i told you goes deep into the history of beja and the cardassians and the demilitarized zone and kira and the main character the 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 villain dahil maritza dahil maritza dahil and you discover who he really is all this stuff happens and it's resolved in that one episode there's nothing that feels in that one episode that that needs to persist to the next one. Yeah. Whereas Blood Oath, it's just this weird thing that comes out of nowhere, doesn't play into any of the characters, and then just suddenly resolves. Um, and it just doesn't doesn't work at all. And there are other 
episodes like this where you just have one storyline, but it's just like, what are you doing? This this is just out of nowhere. You're doing this weird thing, and everything because to to be a storyline that is just the A story, okay, the stakes have to be high enough, right? They have to. It has to actually matter because otherwise you're wondering, well, what else is going on in the station? So for it to generate to garner all your attention, because even feature films have subplots, right? Yeah. So to do 45 minutes on one storyline and not be repetitive uh, is you need a lot of story there and you need and it needs to be important enough to generate enough interest to last 45 minutes otherwise the audience will get bored even if you can find enough scenes so the stakes have to make sense but because of the way that these stories are written the stakes have to be resolved in this episode because they're not supposed to persist to the next one and you look at Blood Oath and you're like this is this should carry on um and then the, and other episodes, like the Defiant episode, uh, doesn't make any sense, where um, Will Riker, his clone from an episode of Next Generation, it turns out he has a clone accidentally from a transporter makeup. So his clone shows up pretending to be him, steals the Defiant to go on a mission, and nothing really happens as a result, and he's put in Cardassian jail. Like, why, why was he even pretending to be Will Riker in the first place? Why doesn't he just say he's Tom Riker? Anyway, it just doesn't work, right? And it's the A story. And I was I watched that just the other day, and I'm just like, this isn't interesting, because Will Riker isn't interesting. Yeah. Uh, or rather, the Will Riker clone isn't interesting. What he's doing isn't interesting. The stakes. Um, they're trying to say, look, a war could break out because of this, and you're like, yeah, but it's not going to. There's no war that's going to happen. And then this whole thing happens, and you go, yeah, nothing about this is going to matter. All that matters is that it was a setup that the Cardassian Obsidian Order is doing something weird in the Arias system. And it turns out what they're doing is they have a very big fleet in the Arias system that they're going to use to attack the Dominion. And you find that out later on in the season. So you don't need an episode to set that up. Yeah. And it doesn't it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't work uh, at all. But it's an A story. And it's just like, you're, you, it's, it's trying to be resolved in a single episode when in fact the whole point of the episode is it's trying to set something up that's actually relevant much later. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, let's move on because I'm conscious of time here. Okay. Um, the, you wanted to talk about the BC story. Oh yeah, so well. sometimes you have some sto- episodes where they have a B story and a C story and they work fine. Um, so uh, Rivals is an episode where um, uh, Quark uh, gets into a rivalry with a businessman uh, who has an, opens up another gambling den, another bar on the station. And he's drawing a lot of his customers to it. And he has this weird thing where you press a button and it randomly tells you if you win or lose. Uh, and then there's a B story in there, which is that Miles O'Brien and Julian Bashir, Miles has created a racquetball court to play. And Julian uh, loves racquetball. And so Julian and Miles play. Unfortunately, Julian is 10 years younger than Miles and is wiping the floor with him. Fun fact, when you realise that when they later on went Jules, uh, Julian Bashir is genetically engineered, this episode is even funnier because you go, that's why he's so much better than Miles. And so uh, he and Miles have their rivalry between them. And Miles um, is getting more and more annoyed. It's very funny, actually. And Miles gets really annoyed with Julian for beating him. Um, all the time and then Julian starts getting worried that because Miles is trying to keep up Miles is going to have a coronary right so he starts downplaying his skill and Miles sees through it and gets offended 
And so, there's, so that's the rivalry. And then Quark's got his rivalry with the um, other guy. And it turns out the other guy, his gambling device is actually changing the probability. And so people are getting super lucky and super unlucky to the point where there's a big match between Jules and Miles that Quark has set up to draw more people to his bar. And he's donating all the profits, which <laughs> won't be many because he's Quark, to the Bajoran Children Orphans Fund, whatever. And... Um, they're playing it, and it turns uh, the the luck thing has happened to a point where Miles cannot miss a shot, and Julian is having the worst terrible luck and can't make a single shot. And you realize how bad that must be if he's genetically engineered, right? So, uh, so that's happening, and so the A and B stories connect. It's quite nice, um, you know. It's fun enough, um, and that works fine. What makes? What do you think makes the better B C story? The better B C is that there's some sort of connection between the A and the B story. Um, so generally you have the A story which is in this case there's um, this weird probability thing that's going on okay and then you've got these two B stories which is the rivalry between Quark and the bar owner and the rivalry between Miles and Julian and then it turns out the weird probability thing is being caused by uh, the rivalry between Quark and this guy and so everything links up Sure. Typically, that's how most A B stories would work. You would have this thing where you have an A story, you have a B story, and then somehow they link up together somehow. Yeah. Is typically how it would go. South Park would do it the other way, which is quite interesting. They'd have one event happen that would split two stories off it. Yeah. Because they realized trying to have two separate stories and linking them wasn't always didn't always work. So they discovered that if you do it the other way, that works just as well because the audience can follow both storylines. Yeah. So the, that's the thing. It's like the audience has to understand why you're cutting from A to B. Um, and so long as they're linked somehow, that makes sense. But if they're not linked, then they're really jarring, which is what happened in an episode I can't stand called Meridian, um, where there's this really fun B story where a guy, Wayun, before he was played Wayun, he played an alien in the show called yeah. Tyrone. And he... Um, wants Kira as a holodeck program so he can basically have sex with Kira in the holosuite. And Quark is trying to get like a full body scan of Kira through all his duplicitous means. And I'm like, this is quite dark. This is like Dennis Reynolds territory. I kind of wish they could plumb this storyline a bit more. Um, That was the B story. The A story is Dax falls in love with a guy on a planet that shifts out of its, out of our dimension every 60 years. And you're just like, Dax Dax falls in love with him out of the blue for no reason. It's just bad writing, by the way, the, the love story. It's yeah. just rubbish. There's no... Like, just if you know the conventions of a love story, it doesn't have them. They just fall in love for no real reason. And then she's willing to throw away her entire life just to be with him. And he's willing to throw away his entire life just to be with her. You're like, why? Is Dax a big problem in the show? Yes. Okay. I'm just not going to... We're not going to get into Dax. No, okay. Dax yeah. doesn't work. Um, so Dax, right. Dax was wrong. But the point was... That these two storylines, there's nothing linking these two storylines at all. There's nothing about beyond, I suppose, love in a way. I mean, it's about a guy who wants to have sex with Kira. But they don't collide. There's no, there's no causal link. The thematic link okay. is barely there. And the and the 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 B story is kind of fun, uh, although it's, the ending is really kind of not very interesting. But the A story is terrible. Yeah. And uh, you're just sitting there going like. And so I'm what, looking at this episode, I'm just like, why are they switching between A and B like that? And you go, well, here's why. The B story has all the characters that aren't in the A story. Okay? 
The A story doesn't have enough for the 25 minutes it's on screen, let alone 45 minutes. It literally doesn't have enough. Anything in it. There's no story there. Um, the B story is a fun idea someone must have come up with, and they stuck that into that episode. It's just one of those things like, okay, we need to fill time, and it's just one of those episodes where the writing here is there's nothing generating this story from the world. There's nothing about this is going to pay off anywhere else and anywhere else. It's just what happens this week? Well, these two things. Let's just take this idea and that idea and we've got an episode. And it's it's, it's really bad. <laughs> okay. It's just terrible. Even your rant sort of ran out of steam at the end. Because it's just rubbish. If you watch the episode, you'll know what I mean. Like one of the big conventions of a love story is you, the need for love. That the protagonist has a need for love. Yeah. That's how you t- say it's love and not just lust. They need love, right? Yeah. Dax doesn't do it. There's no setup. She literally meets this guy and then just goes like, huh. It's like, he's not that handsome. He's not funny. He's not smart. He has no dimensions. She has no dimensions. So you've got these two flat characters with no subtext and actors saying what they're meaning. And they're just, they meet, they're just in love for no reason at all. And then they decide they're going to, you're sitting there and you're like, I don't buy any of this. The actors can't sell it because there's nothing to sell. And so it's just like, and then they've got this stupid gimmick with the planet. Like, why have you got a dimensionalizing planet just so that what they can't, like, what what is this even about? Like, what's this story about? You know, we're talking about ideas and inspiration. It's just one of those things where in the writer's room, you go, how is that an idea? It's not an idea. It's it's a it's a sentence. I shouldn't have poked the bear. Um, okay, it's bad. Um, let's let's discuss those soap elements then. Yes, the, you have the soap elements. Kira and Odo. Will they? Won't they? And Kira has first. She's with uh, Barail. Then she's with Shakar. And then finally she's with Odo. You've got Dax and Worf. And then. Uh, well, actually, you've got Jadzia, Dax, and Julian, then Jadzia, Dax, and Worf, then Esri, Dax, and Worf, and then Esri, Dax, and Julian. Um, and you've got all these will-they-won't-they's, and then you've got Cisco and Cassidy Yates. Um, uh, and, uh, and and you've also got Miles and Keiko, which was really great. And Cisco and his son, which worked very well. And you've got Quark and his family. Take all these little soap opera elements in the show and there's nothing particularly wrong with that and the way DS9 did it was if they decided to have they'd have these every now and again they'd have an episode that would change the dynamic of the cast and then that would persist otherwise and it would just stay the same so they didn't really tease you because part, part part of what you talked about in the uh, it was in the suits episodes it's like episode four yeah. of our show or something yeah um, about what a soap opera actually was yeah and it's just about sort of persisting that status quo there's sort of it? habitual nature to it yeah. everyone kind of gossips something happens yeah. and then the cast kind of repeats the information between everyone in the cast so you, so what you're saying is in, in you called it a gossip show which I thought was a really good name for it. Um, <laughs> or suits yeah. Yeah, yeah got, got, so yeah. DS9, what it would do, for example, is they would have an episode which was about Cassidy and Cisco becoming an item. And then from then on, Cisco and Cassidy are an item. Yeah. And that's it. Uh, they would have an episode about Worf and Kira, uh, not Worf and Kira, sorry, Kira and Odo becoming an item. And then once they're an item, they're an item. And that kind of was it. Yeah. Uh, Miles and Keiko were husband and wife, and every now and again, you would bring up a B story or whatever that was about the fact that they're married. Yeah. And they would just have to deal with some sort of thing like that. 
And so it was just done well. Um, they didn't do the thing where they would have an episode and then halfway through the episode, a character that, that, that they would just sort of like focus things. Uh, like they, they wouldn't go like, okay, Kira and Odo uh, are in love, but they won't do anything about it. And so you have all these episodes where they're like, oh, I like you and I don't, and I like you, but we're not going to do anything because if we actually stop being an item, then we can't have this tension stuff. They never did that. They never, they never got in the way. It was just something that was there. Yeah. Um, and so it worked quite well. Also, importantly, something you just sort of alluded to, but um, I wanted to pinpoint. Yeah. Was once they had the characters together, when they came back and they explored the dynamic of that relationship, it would in effect be a B or a C plot, wouldn't it? It would be, yeah. Exactly. So the, so, so the soap opera elements of a show are sometimes just elements, not plots, but DS9 actually used them to fuel plots. Yeah, right? yeah. so sometimes they go, okay, <clears throat> Keiko and Miles are married. Um, they're having an episode where um, uh, a character has come on the station and she's an empath, like Sana Troy. She's an empath, and she's suffering from a, a, like a, a empathic form of menopause, which means she's putting her feelings onto other people. And at the moment, she's enamoured with Odo. So you have this farce where everyone is falling in love with everyone else, right? And Miles and Keiko are having marital problems because Miles has been anxious to see Keiko for ages because she's been working on Bajor. And she's come back and Keiko is too tired and irascible to really deal with stuff. And so she's not, you know, she just wants to relax. And Miles is, you know, really wants to do stuff with her. So they have a falling out. And you think it's part of what's going on. And then at the end it turns out it has nothing to do with that. It's just they're married and this happens. And when he says to her, I'm willing to give up my job here if it means staying with you on Bajor because I hate the fact that we're apart so much. And you think, oh, he said that because he's in love with her because of what's going on. And it turns out, no, had no effect on him at all. He was serious when he said that. And so Keiko goes, okay, we can make this work and everything. So they just had this issue. And in fact, one of the sad things about DS9 is they don't do nearly enough with Keiko. I was never that all that fond of the Keiko Miles stuff. They needed, because they they didn't go all the way they should have. They should have, DS9... Once they find the wormhole in episode one, they were doing expeditions into the Gamma Quadrant. Yeah. Keiko should have been the chief botanist on those expeditions. Ha. So she had an actual job on DS9. Yeah. And so you could put Keiko in episodes where she's in life and death situations. So she's the main character of those episodes, right? And you can now have Miles reacting to it. Because the fun of that show their relationship was whenever Miles got into real danger, you felt really bad for him because you knew he had a family. Yeah. And every time they did it from, there's one episode where Keiko's in trouble and Miles is the one who has to worry and that works really well. And Miles was pretty much the best character in the show, right? Yeah. So that's a big thing. And same with Cisco and his son. Yeah. So the soap opera elements weren't teasers that's the difference they were actually things like he was actually his father and his son they were actually married they were actually an item blah 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 they didn't tease and so DS9 didn't do a lot of the teasing the only teasing they did do was with Esri and the Kira Odo stuff and the Wharf Judzia they did do a bit of teasing at certain points and they were never very interesting but when they didn't do the teasing it was just this is the We'll the come make, to the, the makeup. Come to a counter example in a minute. Let's just get the season stuff uh, done quickly. 
Oh, and then they started adding seasonal arcs, right? For the reasons I suggested, which was to have momentum build over seasons. So the first season, uh, they didn't really have uh, much of a seasonal arc, but they were playing into the fact that Bejor was divided over whether or not they wanted to be with the Federation because they just got rid of the Cardassians. So the Federation come in, so there are some people who want to be completely on their own and other people who want the Federation there. And there's the whole thing of, have we just sold ourselves to another group of people? And other people going, that the Federation are the reason why the Cardassians don't just come back, right? And then season two, they had a big three-part opening with Frank Langella, of all people. Like he's an Oscar winner, right? Uh, you know, David Nixon, uh, Richard Nixon guy, sorry, uh, from David Frost. Yeah, Nixon, yeah. yeah. He, so, and he played Skeletal in the He-Man movie. Um... Eclectic career, and uh, Perry White in Superman Returns. He's great. Anyway, um, he's he's the villain for it, and so it turns out that there's this whole um, xenophobic, um, anti-Federation Bajoran movement, uh, and they are trying to get rid of the Federation from DS9 and everything. And it turns out they're being funded by the Cardassians. So the Cardassians can come back because the Cardassians want DS9 back because of the wormhole. Right? Bajor has now become a lot more important. So that was like the season one season two bridge and then season two they put in the marquee and so they had this thing for the first two seasons in the background to do with the demilitarized zone but then they had the dominion come in and they set the dominion up throughout season two and season three they came in with the dominion and then season uh three they had the dominion show up in the in the premiere nothing really People sort of reacting, hey, the Dominion's here. Changed things a little bit. Then at the end of season three, the, they find out that the Dominion have infiltrated everywhere. Season four is them dealing with that. And then it turns out that it seems like Gowron, the head of the Klingon Empire, is a changeling at the end of season four. So they had this thing where at the beginning and end of each season, the Dominion had done something. Yeah. And they would often, again, sweet weeks would be a Dominion-related thing. Like, the Dominion are slowly building to war with the Federation. And then season five really started bringing that more to a head. They had many more Dominion-related episodes. And then season six, season five, sorry, ended with the the Dominion war happening. And then from then on, it kind of just became this sort of uh, unfolding storyline. How many seasons did it run in the end? Nine? Oh, seven. It was only seven. Yeah, DS9 should have had nine, but no, seven. But yeah, so you had these things, and then so that was how they kind of built that over time. It was nowhere near as well done as say uh, Babylon Five or Buffy. Yeah, uh, but it had these key episodes. Like had these key the, things, like yeah. In the mini Borg thing, you just yeah, it was like that. That's how it was. And then as the show went on, they decided they 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 got more and more confident with having more of this unfold. Yeah. So it's interesting if you watch um, the early season of DS Nine. They were starting to do that with Bejor and Cardassia, but they never really define it. But with the Dominion, they really get into yeah. how the Dominion sort of do stuff. And even then, it's not as much as, say, Babylon 5 did or whatever, but there's more to it. No. Yeah. No. Um, okay, let's talk counter-example. It's so, fun, by the way. It's good. What, DS9? Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed I liked it. it. It's been almost 20 years now since I watched it, but yeah. I, I enjoyed it. Um, and I know if I went back and watched some of my favourite episodes, I'd enjoy them as well. Yeah, it's, it's, that's the thing. As I go back and rewatch the whole reason for why I'm doing this podcast is I go back and rewatch it. Um, you see how much of it is nicely done and how much of it is just bizarre. Like, here's a really bizarre thing they don't have any social media. 
right? They don't have smartphones. You know, that's just a bizarre thing. You go, wow, that's a bit... Oh, yeah, I forgot. Like, this is a thing we're used to now, but back then, yeah. no one would have thought of that. So it's bizarre that you have this futuristic show and they don't have any of... Like, they don't have the internet. You know? It's like when you watch the original Star Trek and they go, computer, find me all the information on Khan. Searching! Wagga, 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 wagga. Like that, you go like, yeah, this feels like the future. Um, you know? <laughs> right? And it's just like my phone. I've been using Siri a lot more, and like Siri's really quite good, actually. Right. So the fact that their computers aren't as effective as Siri, these kind of things are quite funny. But this is more than just those sort of superficial fun things that you you know going to happen, right? Yeah. There's actual stuff to do with the nature of how the stories are built that are reflective of how television was done at that time. That you go, whoa. That choice only makes sense if you realise that they had to resolve this episode. And then you start realising, well, why were people thinking like that? And you go, well, this is why. Well, let's talk about something then that is... Let's talk about Flash, because I know you were dying to... So, yes. So I did a little rant about Flash um, on Twitter, and... Did you rant about it on Twitter? Just a little. Recently? Yeah, like yesterday. Oh, I uh, see. I haven't caught up on your just a little, like a couple, rants, couple yeah. of things. But it was just um, a lot of my YouTube feed for some reason. Uh, um, I say for some reason because I'm a ridiculous geek. <laughs> uh, are people talking about you know the Flash, yeah, the series? And so I pay attention to it every now and again because I'm curious what's happening on the Flash because people like it. But I watched the first season. I couldn't be bothered to watch anymore. And I've seen bits of season two and three, and the Flash. What I can't fathom is not only is it being written in this archaic form, but it's bad. So the the form is much the same as DS9 with the A-plot, B-C, soap opera elements. And the season thing. Art, yeah. But it's bad. For example, The Flash has had three seasons. Each season has had a big villain for that season. And every one of them is a supervillain who runs really fast, who is not from his Earth. Right? And has a secret identity. So, in the first season, uh, he is being, uh, has to deal with a villain called the Reverse Flash, who comes from the future. Okay? And Reverse Flash turns out to be his mentor, Harrison Wells. But actually, he's not Harrison Wells. He killed Harrison Wells. He's really Eobard Thorne from the future. That's. And then. uh, Sorry, I'm just pause there. You know, we were talking last week about terrible, terrible hero names yeah. and villain names. Yeah. Reverse Flash. Yeah. Okay. Alright, carry on. I, you know, I watched the first season of The Flash. Okay. There are some nice moments in it. One of the best moments in it is when uh, their friend Cisco realises Harrison Wells is the Reverse Flash and Harrison kills him. And it's really well done. They act really well. It's very nicely written. Then I think if I remember right, time travel and Cisco's alive and it never happens. But um, it was the only really... What? Yeah, I I don't remember. (laughs) I forget if it was time travel or if it was just precognition or if it was a dream or if... I don't know. But the the reset button was hit. The reset button was hit like Voyager with a -a whack-a-mole stick. Just like, oh, continuity, bang, back in, there we go. And it was just, it's annoying because it was one of the most heartfelt moments in the show. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'm like, 
okay, fine, whatever. Anyway, so that's season one, right? Reverse Flash. Season two, Zoom, a villain from another Earth. We yeah, need a, we need we need a bad name, Claxon. We do. It's something to think about for the future. <laughs> okay, so Zoom. Okay, so Zoom comes from another Earth, um, and he's super fast, and he's faster than the Flash. And um, he turns out to be Jay Garrick. But Jay Garrick isn't actually Jay Garrick. He's some other guy um, pretending to be Jay Garrick. And uh, the real Jay Garrick is a nice guy. It's the same exact plot, <laughs> right? And uh, how, does he, how does he beat the bad guy? By running really fast. Um, then the third season, he meets a villain. What's the villain called? Sabotar. Or Godspeed. Ayuga! There we go. <laughs> Godspeed. Okay, sorry, carry on. So, Sabotar, who's faster than the Flash, who comes from the future, turns out to be the Flash from the future. Does it turn out to be not the Flash from no, the future? No, he's actually the Flash from oh, the okay. future. Oh, no, he doesn't. You're right. He isn't the Flash from the future. He's actually a time remnant, which is a clone for, of, the of, of the Flash from the from future. future. So he's a future clone of the future Flash. Okay. Who's come back in time to make sure that he kills Iris, who isn't Barry's girlfriend, or is, I don't know. Can't um, in a second. I don't care. And he's going to kill him. Uh, so he's going to kill Iris so that he goes crazy and therefore becomes Savitar. And, and that's that's the and it's the same plot again and I'm sitting there going like Mirror Master is a cool villain Reverse Flash was fine first villain Reverse Flash season 2 Mirror Master Mirror Master's really cool right he's interesting because Flash can't beat him just by running really fast because yeah. Mirror Master steps through a mirror space doesn't matter to the Mirror Master so how can you it, it's much more interesting than that yeah. Mirror Master I think was in an episode Gorilla Legrod I, I remember you telling me about uh, Mirror, Mirror Master's Master awesome. and you told me about a moment in the show and it sounded really cool I think the only thing I can remember in the show is there's like a no because in the show there's a hall of mirrors and he steps into the mirror and so Barry just smashes the mirrors ah that wasn't interesting. No. But um, anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, and then you have Gorilla Grodd, who's an awesome villain. Um, and then you've got... Who else have you got? You've got um, uh, Captain Cold is pretty cool. I mean, actually, no, he's not. Um, Sorry, Aruga. Aruga. Captain Cold is not a cool villain, but Captain Cold and Heatwave, the, co- the kind of all the rogues of Flash teaming up. Because Flash has loads of rubbish rogues, but when they all work together... It, that can be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so, but no, it's just a super speedster so, okay. three times in a row. Let, let's, let's, let's boil this down then. Big problem number one, the season stories are rubbish. It's just repetitive. Uh, and the soap opera stuff is constant teasing of things that's that never happen. That, that's the stuff yeah, I wanted to that get they answer. can't happen. So Iris and Barry never get anywhere. They're not doing anything. See, here's the thing. I haven't. I only seen the first season of Flash, and I've jumped in and out of season two and three, and I know people really like the Flash. And, to be fair, there is a charm to it, 
right? It's having fun with these characters, and it's enjoying... It's sort of celebrating the uh, terrible names and the Silver Age stuff, right? Yeah. It's celebrating the fact... It's, like it's not embarrassed of this stuff. It's the same with the Supergirl show, right? It's not trying to be apologetic. It's not trying to be super serious. It's just having fun with it. But What's I, Supergirl like, by the way? The uh, same. Same as Flash. Same, except I love Melissa Benoist. I love her. She's so cute and adorable. Uh, but it's the same problem. Same problems. Yeah, that. same problems. It's just, I, I mean, I don't know about the supervillains for the season, but I, I remember watching the first episode. I saw the trailer for it. And the trailer is like Callista Flockhart, right? Is her boss. And it's, like, it's Devil Wears Prada type thing. Yeah. And she goes, my latte is cold. How dare you? He throws it back at her. Why are you so late with my coffee? And it's like cut to Supergirl stopping a meteorite from crashing <laughs> into Metropolis. Because uh, there was a cue. I've had enough of your life, of your excuses and all this stuff. And like, that's all I want. <laughs> this is all I want from the show, which is basically Devil Wears Prada, Supergirl. That's it. This seems like the best thing, all I could possibly want. So I sat down to watch it and I'm like, oh, the soap opera stuff. And then they went at the end and the D and then there's an alien conspiracy thing. I'm like, I don't care. I do not care about this stuff because what they do is... Um, as I said, like you had the A story, the B story, C story, and then you had the soap opera elements and the season story. And the reason for these longer story arcs was to build up to the season finale, the season openings, and the sweep weeks, right? That's why they were there like this. So what happened with shows like DS9 or X-Files is they would have closed episodes, but then those episodes about the Dominion or those episodes about the alien goo or whatever were for those specific weeks. They would have those things happen and then they would stop them. Okay? Mm. And that was it. What Flash and Supergirl do and what other shows at that time tried to do, which is very annoying, is they would constantly reference all those things, but never do anything with them. You see? Yeah. And so you're constantly teasing the villain. You're constantly teasing this. Buffy, right? Buffy the Vampire Slayer had a villain, but actually it had two villains. It had a villain and then the big bad. And halfway through the season, the henchman would go and the big bad would get revealed. Yeah. So it was always in a two-stage process. Yeah. That happened halfway through. So they didn't tease. They had the first... The they villain, turned the story. They turned the story. Stories actually are turning points. They saved the turning points for those episodes. But what they would do then is they would set those turning points up with other stories. This, they don't do that. It's just repetitive, persistent thing. The irony of the Flash on a treadmill essentially is what this is right it's just the flash and a trend is not going anywhere and every time you get somewhere they just start again the exact same thing and the fans are have cottoned on to this by the way because when this season three was happening and they go who's savitar they got sick of this with zoom and they got sick of this with savitar where people are just like you've got to come up with something other than a super speedster who has a secret identity and he's not from the same time. It, you've got to do something more than this. Yeah. And they've done it three times in a row. And people are enjoying the show, but I don't know how well it's doing anymore. But so this is just because um, the first season people really loved it. And since then, as far as I can tell, people's enjoyment of the show is diminished because law of diminishing returns. You keep repeating the same thing. People can get less interested in it. Yeah. So there's this constant teasing of things. So every episode there's scenes where Iris and Barry do the will they won't they thing. And it's like, this has nothing to do with the episode. The villain, nothing with the villains happening. And this isn't going to go anywhere. 
So you're constantly teasing plot lines that won't turn, and it's becoming like a soap opera, the gossip show, yeah. where people are constantly telling each other things, but nothing's happening. Yeah. And so, and the thing that drives me crazy about this is not only is it bad, okay, but as I said, it's archaic. There's no reason for the show to be like this anymore. Because? Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> Why did this form exist? The ABC story. Why did this form exist? I've I mentioned about how the soap opera and the season storyline was to build something over the course of a season, right? Here's another reason. The whole point of this was for syndication. These episodes were written like this. As I said, this is this was a form of writing for television that goes back 50, 60 years. Actually, no, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong, right? 1950s, we're almost 2020, so it's 70, 70 years. years yeah. 70 years, right? This predates VCRs and timer records and TiVo. This, this form of television writing was designed for people who could only watch a show live. You couldn't watch it any other time. Unless it, they had to watch it live, you had reruns, okay? That meant people would miss the show. That meant people would tune in halfway into the show and they'd have to be able to keep up. It would mean that the next week's episode, if they missed one, they couldn't possibly watch it again. This is why <clears throat> Doctor Who has lost 100 episodes or so. Because they, the BBC would literally tape over the episodes. And back then, no one had VCRs. So those episodes are lost forever. No one has them. My only way they could, po- I think they could possibly salvage if aliens get the signals and record them. <laughs> That's the only way it could possibly happen. So those episodes are gone. Unless Which would be a great episode for Doctor Who. It really would be. Be a bit meta. <laughs> yeah. It'd be awesome. So, but so this was designed so people could constantly follow the these shows. Yeah. Then when syndication came along, the idea is these shows would be constantly put on the air again by and the again. Way, is what. It's an American term. The idea being that a show would be sold into syndication, meaning a, a channel would have access to that show. And they could replay it as much as they wanted, basically. Right. And every time you play it, you got residuals, which is yeah. how people like Seinfeld get their money because it's just constantly replayed again and again and again yeah. and again. Um, and so um, the whole point was to get syndication. As my name is Earl, uh, Jason Lee said, how many things are on... Earl's list as many as it takes for us to get to syndication right and typically that required a hundred episodes okay. so generally four seasons five seasons yeah. is what it took so you had this thing which meant people had to be able to follow this show because uh, even though they couldn't catch up with it necessarily so, every so week shows there wasn't get syndicated up. after a certain amount of time yeah it would take right, years okay. and then then they were available uh, online uh, on, on 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 the channel but again you had to get up to watch the, the yeah. show and so there was this thing you couldn't record it back so then VHS comes in and VCRs come in and then uh, I remember you couldn't buy box sets of TV shows you would buy a tape with two episodes on it yeah. and sometimes they'd be assorted collections it wouldn't necessarily even be in order right so the whole thing was these episodes were written in such a way that you could watch any episode in any order and it wouldn't matter Yeah. okay there might be some continuity but by and large it didn't matter because that's how how it could be distributed back then. But what's changed now is not only do people... So, if you're watching something, you don't necessarily watch it live anymore. You TiVo it, right? 
if only so that you can skip the feckin' adverts. Right. Right? So you TiVo everything, okay? And what's more is TiVo now, you put in a series and you hit record, it records the entire series for you. So the idea of you missing an episode for a show you like doesn't really exist. Yeah. And that's not including the concept of the internet, right? <laughs> Where with the internet, you can watch it whenever you want. Okay? Wherever as well. Wherever you want, whenever you want. The idea of missing an episode no longer exists. And as a result, writers have started writing series where they presume you've watched the previous episode. So exposition is lower. They don't feel any need to write episodes that are self-contained anymore. And so off they go and they write what they want. And so as we talked about with the ROA podcast, people are able to do the most incredible things, right? Uh, You know, they have episodes that are shorter than some, longer than others, because ad breaks don't matter. Yeah. So you don't need to write uh, ad, uh, an ad, uh, a cliffhanger every 10 minutes. Instead, you can just have it play out for 30 minutes one week, an hour the next week, whatever you want, right? So <clears throat> this whole form doesn't exist. There's no reason for it to exist anymore. People do not watch a show and then can't catch up, right? Even if they miss a show, they can go online and read up everything about it you can go on youtube and pretty much watch enough clips that you can put the whole episode together do you know what i mean or you can just go on twitter and read all the spoilers twitter whatever the idea that people can't keep up with the show is ridiculous right so you're watching something like the flash and you go okay 20 years ago i wouldn't have put up with this show and i know i wouldn't have because this was my problem with smallville yeah <laughs> i didn't like smallville for the same reason i'm just sitting there this is bad writing these uh, these are stupid concepts and it doesn't work and you're constantly teasing nonsense and I don't care about this it, all those problems were in Smallville they've been in other shows and other shows at the same time were doing this properly Buffy did it well Angel did it well DS9 did it well but Voyager had these problems Enterprise had these problems these problems have always been there uh, but for Flash to be doing it in an era where the primary audience of Flash are internet savvy because they're geeks like me and can download this. The idea that this is how Flash and Supergirl and Arrow are being done is insane to me. That th- that the the model for these shows is this old archaic form. If you're going to do the archaic form, at least do it properly. Doctor Who is still doing that kind of thing. It doesn't do B stories really. Yeah. But it has like a monster of the week stuff. <clears throat> and there's a season plot line, like often there's a villain behind the season, right? Yeah. And it's great. And Doctor's 50 years old, and it's just how he works, and he's cool, and he gets involved in things. I mean, <coughs> Doctor Who at times used to have serials where the uh, storyline would last six, seven episodes. And then he became more episodic, and he goes back and forth between it. So season nine of Doctor Who, every two episodes was a story. So every episode, every other episode would end on a cliffhanger. Right. You know, like the old Batman, 1960s Batman, Adam West. That's how that used to be. Yeah. You know, same bad type, same bad channel. Like they did that with Doctor Who. It's Doctor Who is always playing around, having fun. By and large, it's kind of like Monsters of the Week and so on. And that works fine. But if you're going to do that, it's got to be good. People, when Doctor Who isn't good, people just tune out. They don't bother anymore. Yeah. So the point is, is like there isn't I, one way of writing television anymore. I don't, I don't watch Doctor Who, but I know you do. I know um, Willard does as well. Yes. Um, so I'm, I often uh, overhear your conversations on Twitter, as it were, uh, about yeah. like the odd bad episode or the odd good episode. It's like Star Trek. There is a sign <laughs> of like, quality. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but uh, that's natural though. If you're going to do something different yeah. every week, you're not always going to hit the mark. Yeah. Right. Same with anthology shows, right? Where yeah. the seasons an anthology, like True Detective. Well, people loved the first season, but the second season didn't do too right. well. Um, but I just wanted to mention distribution, distribution specifically, because um, th- these shows, Flash, uh, yeah. Supergirl, they're archaic, but they're also anomalies, aren't they? Because um, TV, if we if we look at internet having changed uh, yeah. distribution um, for various forms of media, TV's really for me the one industry that has actually embraced it. Well, uh, there's two TVs. There's network TV and then there's non network. Network. network TV hasn't embraced it. The what Flash I mean is-, is essentially chasing syndication, and by the time it gets syndication, it that doesn't matter anymore because syndication what does that mean anymore Netflix has the whole series or whatever on, on itself right people buy box sets well, or at least I don't know if they do anymore but people used to buy entire box sets of the season like watching watching a series only on television broadcast at the time that it was broadcast hasn't been a thing for 15 years at least yeah right and it's becoming less And right now I don't think it's even believable that it's a thing right and the network television still acts like that's a thing and the flash the writers of the flash are being either they don't know that they can change this either it's their choice or it's the network someone somewhere has decided a story bc soap opera they this form that i've laid out this is the form they're sticking to yeah and no one has stopped and gone why Because you look to net, you only need to look to Netflix to see, like, essentially brave new forms of television, right? The yeah. way we discussed it a yeah. few weeks ago. And Netflix and Amazon Prime are, have totally are, are totally completely leading the way. HBO started this. You sure? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because they had shows where it's like, well, we have we have the cable access and everything, yeah. and people subscribe to us, so we can just do it. And the, but then with with the whole concept of television being stored on the internet yeah. and therefore accessed through Wi-Fi on your phone, yeah. Netflix and Amazon Prime have taken it to a new level. It strikes me the drop off as well from Netflix uh, and Amazon. Although I would put it per- personally, I would put Netflix quite far above Amazon. But those two forms. Yeah those two companies the drop off from there to what the networks are producing is just so huge it's enormous um, and the, the reason is as I say is th- you know I, I really like DS9 I love Buffy you know and you watch them and like yeah this is great but it's as I remember before we turned the mic on you mentioned like why is it being archaic a bad thing and I said it's the same reason people don't write novels to be serialised in newspapers right it's not that that is necessarily a bad thing, you know, writing an A story with act breaks and so on, because yeah. there's lots of great writing that's come out of it, you know, that still work. But it's the problem of thinking we are going to still write stories like that, no matter how good or bad they are, to fit this form. And, like, that's my problem with The Flash. It's not that it's just, like, it's not very well written. It's that it's not very well written in a form that doesn't even need to exist anymore. So it's like, why are you sla- Why are you a slave to a form that you don't even need to write in? You know, how much better would Flash be if they could do, if 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 like the networks and stuff went okay, let's actually do this differently. <clears throat> let's change this. For example, the first, the pilot episode of the Flash, 
the accident that gives him his superpowers is lightning, right? Yeah. Strikes lightning strikes him. And he gets struck by lightning and nine months later he wakes up and he's got his superpowers and everything. Yeah. And in those nine months things have gone a bit weird. Star Labs, which was the thing that caused the explosion, has fallen out of favour. Um, and now certain supervillains are showing up. So why cut? Why cut? Why not have that be season one? Why not just slowly build up this world of the Flash piece by piece? Yeah. Why not? If you're going to have someone become the Weather Wizard. Oh, Aruga! Weather Wizard. It was sorry. It was so bad. It didn't even register. As just a name. Say, if you're going to have the Weather Wizard show up, <laughs> why not set up who's going to become the Weather, weather Wizard? Uh, Cisco is going to become Vibe. Vibe. Uh, you're okay with that? Killer that. Frost. There we go. I don't know what will set you off. Um, and so you've got all these. If you're going to have all these characters, like you don't have to go straight into the supervillain of the week thing and all that stuff. So why not spend time building up this world? Oddly enough, you look at because um, as you've been talking, I was thinking, what would the Flash look like if it were on Netflix? Well, yeah. You look at Daredevil, and Daredevil yeah. did exactly what you're just describing. Yeah, it took its time building this world up. It focused on one villain for the whole season, just the Kingpin. Yeah. Uh, because it didn't. Uh, it, I mean, okay, Supergirl, the first episode. Uh, oh my! I can't even remember the name of the villain. I can't even remember the name of the villain. The villain was terrible. It was bottom of the barrel type stuff. Episode one. Episode one. They wow. already couldn't have villains. There's no rogues gallery. There was a joke in Justice. Will loves this joke, by the way. Justice League Unlimited. Um, they had all these all these terrible villains, yeah. right? And. Uh, <laughs> One of the writers, uh, he's passed away now, Dwayne McDuffie, was saying he was really proud that he could get a character as obscure as the Helgramite into an episode. It's just like this alien insect creature. It's like wow. he's in the background. And then later on in the episode, Killer Frost kills a bunch of the villains. And they go, yeah, she just killed a whole bunch of villains here, doesn't she? And then Dwayne McDuffie goes, no, not Helgramite. <laughs> like that, and everyone laughs, right? Because he's in the background and dead. <laughs> like, he doesn't even get death scenes. He's dead. Um... That was the villain of episode two of Supergirl. Helgramite. Helgramite. Yeah. And I just sat there and I'm like, oh my, you can't, you can't, guys. If you have, like, this is the thing. This is why I got wound up with Flash and Supergirl. Which was, it's so obvious they do not have the villains they need to generate these shows. Yeah. So an episode of the week is such a bad idea because you don't have enough villains to do an episode of the week villain story. You don't have them. Yeah. Right? So, if you don't have enough villains, if you don't have 24 villains, you can't have a season of 24 episodes with a different villain every week, right? Sure. You just can't do it. So, you immediately stop and you think to yourself, okay, if we can't have a villain every week, we're going to have one or two villains this season. Like Daredevil. We're going to have just... Daredevil has two villains. Kingpin yeah. and Bullseye. And that's it. Right? Yeah. If you're going to go, okay, we've got two villains to play with. You know, Supergirl. Okay, we're going to have this villain and that villain for this entire season you then have to plan out your season differently and you start building things and then you go okay all this soap opera stuff we want to put in we're going to have to play with that more and build that up and, and on and on it goes and immediately you start going you're writing to the franchise's strengths right but this form this archaic form for the Flash and Supergirl is writing to its weaknesses yeah and, as, and what annoys me about it is look if it was you know with Smallville I got annoyed with it but I didn't it didn't make me snap. I just went, come on, you guys, you have to write better. 
with Flash and Supergirl, what annoys me is they've got this wonderful cast. Uh, they've got they've got the CGI now that you can pull all this stuff off, everything like that. And I'm sitting there and I'm just going like, there's no reason for you to be writing yourselves into these corners anymore. There's no reason for it. Lois and Clark had to do that, right? Back in the old days, back in the 90s. Yeah. But Lois and Clark, they couldn't even afford to have supervillains. Yeah. So generally the problems were, that's what it's called Lois and Clark and not Superman, right? Because yeah. it was much more about Lois and Clark than it was Superman. Superman was kind of the fun thing that happened often. Superman was the B story. Yeah. yeah. And they, they kind of, they, they realized they had to make this work somehow. So all of the fun was in the Lois Clark dynamic. And Supergirl and Flash, they're trying to have the whole every week we're going to fight a villain with super speed and super strength and it's like, but the villains are rubbish! Um, a quick question yeah. then before we, we move on to the summary and wrap this uh, yes. wrap this up. Uh, you mentioned exposition earlier um, yeah. and there being less of it in these long form shows because people are watching. I just thought it was quite an interesting point to make. Do yeah. you think there's been any other sort of knock on effects on shows because of the change in? Oh, there's probably been loads. The directing is often more innovative and right. uh, interesting because it's not. For example, you don't have sitcoms that are live with laughter tracks. That's changed. Mm. Um, you've also got um, people shoot on location things. Because there's more money being thrown at it, um, people don't have to focus on the same sets again and again and again. Uh, casts of characters switch, characters will come and go, um, because uh, a lot of a lot of the <clears throat> a lot of the elements of television were in place because the stories had to be told uh, out of sequence. Episodes had to be able to be told out of sequence. Sure. Once that got rid of things happen that would mean things like you don't have to explain your premise every week you don't have to hook the audience every week because you've got a recurring audience that yeah. comes in you're not hope you don't have to worry about people channel surfing because no one's channel surfing it's funny anymore. you saying you don't things have like to that. explain the show every week when we yeah. sat down to re-watch um out of gas for the firefly episode yeah um on Netflix, uh, for some they, they've the whatever recordings they have on there that they've released on there, yeah, they're the old TV ones. So at the beginning of the episode, it's it has Mal narrating, like, oh, yeah, what the fire, world is, what yeah, what the world is. And I'd never seen them before, neither did I, yeah, they're not on the DVDs, no, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's like, I, I know the world, why are you, why are you yeah. telling it's, me? It's, it's really bizarre to see yeah. that, and you go, wait, what? And but loads of shows you see that you should use the credit sequence to do that, and now we don't even get credit sequences, yeah. really. Now the credit sequences, people don't bother. They have a Galactica small little. Did it, didn't it? In the credit sequence. Yeah, yeah, they did things like that. Now, but our credit sequences are like thirty seconds, yeah. if that, even less. Unless it's House of Cards, in which case fifty minutes, and then it <laughs> takes place over the next two. <laughs> it's true I still have a big problem. The House of Cards one is quite really long, did. right? Um, but the, but that's um, whereas the O eight credit sequence is different every time. Yes, and so. So there's just a whole bunch of things that when you realize that the person watching your show is actually starting with episode one and will watch it for as long as they're interested, yeah. you don't, you, you basically, you take the principles of long form writing that you'd have seen in novels and in films and you play that rather than, essentially television used to be a franchise operation of you're trying to produce a sequel every week. Right? Yeah. And 
sometimes that worked, sometimes it didn't. I love Columbo. Columbo's in that world, right? Yeah. Um, Agatha Christie's Poirot. That's how she wrote Poirot, yeah. right? There's really nothing wrong. Conan Doyle you know, and Sherlock. Oh, you, know, you had these serialized characters. You, know you mention it. You know the because sh- I've been thinking what what shows still do that, and obviously we talked about Doctor Who. Mm. But crime shows still exist. You still yeah, they still do that. Because, because and then real, you get, real world crime shows when you but then at the it. same time you have the same problems Sherlock used to be an awesome crime show and now it's become a pseudo soap opera where Sherlock doesn't solve crimes anymore and the big bad is always someone related to him and it's just like what um, do you think that's just them getting long form wrong as opposed to <clears> not realising the strength of the show well, no that's just because it's not being done properly anymore because Sherlock broke the form it did three 90 minute episodes a season. Oh, sure, of course. So it totally, it, it doesn't, and it's on BBC, so it doesn't even have to worry about ads. So yeah. this is the thing, by the way, because, you know, we grew up in England and I watched the BBC, and the BBC, they don't have ad breaks. That's how I noticed things were weird. Like I would watch Red Dwarf again and again and again, and they never had that fade to black thing. And then I'd watch other shows and they had the fade to black thing, like my Transformer cartoons. And like, why does that show do this and this one doesn't? And then after one, ads. And then I started paying attention to the, like how differently television is written between these different places. Yeah. And like a six episode series is so different to a 24 episode series. They're more consistent usually because it's just two writers writing all six episodes yeah. and so on. And so all these different changes and now television is getting to a point where people, the, the series can determine how it's presented. And so DS9, I love DS9, but it's this archaic form. And it's bizarre to still see people slaved to that form when it doesn't fit their show, yeah. which is all right with the Flash. All right, let's wrap this up then. Um, summarize, go. Um, watch DS9 instead of the Flash. And scene. What do we learn from this? That the medium... That there's a lot of elements of writing that people presume you have to do when in fact it's simply to do with say something like the distribution method and once you see through that options arrive arise that you didn't know were there and so for example as I say this is a really good creative exercise which is if you had this show what would you do right and then you start really playing with the fact that Oh, I could do this and I could do this. Like, as I said with The Flash, you know, what could you do with The Flash that would make it The Flash as opposed to just any other sort of Monster of the Week type show? And you look at DS9 and it's fun to watch DS9 and go through and go, man, if they knew that they could keep a storyline running, if they started really paying attention to the long form elements, how would you set up this? And how would you pay this off later? And wouldn't this storyline be great to do? For example, there's an episode where Quark, it's called Profit and Loss, where a woman, a Cardassian woman comes on the station called Natima Lang, and it turns out Quark was in love with her. There's no setup that Quark was ever in love with her, and she never shows up again. Right? And immediately you go, look, if we're going to have Quark in love with a Cardassian who is a dissident, who's uh, up, up against the Cardassian empire and so on straight away you start thinking well what are we going to do with this and then you realize like if you're not going to have natima lang be a big thing in the show she doesn't have an episode at all she doesn't exist yeah she gets cut and immediately you start looking at ds9 very differently and you start going okay this thing will be and just because you don't have to fit to the abc storyline yeah 
yeah. aspect. So that's that's really the whole point of this, which is that if you're writing television and so on, right now you might be thinking, I want to write television the way people are currently doing it, which is uh, just this unfolding narrative for yeah. 10 episodes. And I would suggest that's just going to be archaic one day, I guess, as the ABC thing is. And there's no reason for you to do it like that. You could do it in any other number of ways. You can jump through time. You can do it from different points of view. You can change the cast. So rather than going, how does my story fit this distribution method of television? Sherlock, as I said, three 90-minute episodes. Immediately, it's like that's that's a way of doing television, right? Three 90-minute episodes. Mm. Is your show one of those kind of shows where actually you want longer episodes but small number versus you know 10 episodes that are now long so so that's that's the kind of thing it's like you you don't have to force your show your stories to fit distribution methods anymore because distribution methods have changed so much that, <clears throat> that pretty much anything goes you can you can pretty much do anything because now the entire story is presented in one block that people can devour at their whim. And so all you have to do is tell the audience when is the right time for them to take a break from the show. Like, okay, I'll watch one more episode and then I'll go to bed. That's all you need to do. Like, here, you can take a break yeah. now. Otherwise, beyond that, nothing matters. You can do whatever you want. You can have it be about one character, 12 characters. You can have it be a monster of the week. You can have it not be a monster of the week. You can have it change over the course of the thing, it starts off Monsters of the Week and then stops being Monsters of the Week and becomes unfolding narrative, blah, 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 blah all that stuff. Yeah. There's just no reason to to write in that 70-year-old model anymore unless you really want to and therefore, hopefully, it would be really good. That's it. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say something. Uh, I thought about it, but... Uh, give me one bad villain. One more. <laughs> Why are we doing this? Why are we doing the one bad villain thing oh, again? I'm glutton for punishment. Evil star man. <laughs> Ow, Wooga. <laughs> he has a star on his head. That's oh, it. Jeez. Out. Get out. A world on the edge of existence. It shifts between this dimension and another. A passion Dax cannot deny. We'll see each other again. In 60 years. I want you with me now. But how will their love last forever? What if I stayed here with you? But how do you know that's possible? When his planet's about to vanish for a lifetime. The planet and all its inhabitants will cease to exist. Next time on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. 